This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 43 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 22nd of August 2020 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, four months into voluntary administration, what does the future hold for Virgin Australia? What's it like flying with Qantas, Virgin and Rex at the moment? The hierarchy of Qantas award availability. And I take a close look at the tourism industry on Kangaroo Island, South Australia, a destination that hadn't even recovered yet from the summer bushfires before the pandemic hit. We find out how the island's tourism businesses are coping and whether it's worth a visit to the island right now. It's all coming up later in the episode, but first, here's what's making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. And firstly, Qantas released its full financial year results for the 2019-20 financial year last Thursday, announcing a small underlying profit for the year, but an enormous statutory loss of $2.7 billion. The results demonstrate a very strong first half, but a disastrous second half as the COVID-19 outbreak worsened and progressively harsher travel restrictions were introduced in Australia. Qantas estimates that it took a $4 billion revenue hit in the previous financial year due to the pandemic. Most of the statutory loss was due to aircraft write-downs and one-off redundancy costs. The value of Qantas's 12 Airbus A380s has been particularly affected by this crisis, as these aircraft may not return to the skies for years, and they have now limited resale value as there's just an enormous global oversupply of the super jumbos. Qantas's 12 Airbus A380s are currently in deep storage in the United States. Between April and June 2020, the Qantas Group's revenue fell by a staggering 82%, but costs were also reduced by 75%, offsetting much of that loss. There were some bright spots in an otherwise depressing result for the national carrier. Qantas Freight and the charter operations in Western Australia continue to perform well, and Qantas loyalty also continues to generate significant cash flow for the Qantas Group, with the loyalty division reporting only a 9% reduction in profit this year. Qantas's loyalty business has made a profit of $341 million in the last financial year. At Thursday's announcement, Qantas also said that it doesn't expect international flights to resume until at least July 2021, with the possible exception of trans-Tasman services. Regular Qantas international flights are still currently scheduled to resume on the 28th of March next year, although this is really just an arbitrary date aligned with the start of the IATA Northern Summer scheduling period. Realistically, this date will almost certainly be pushed back again at some point, as Qantas has now signalled. Realistically, Qantas is not going to resume regular international flights until Australia reopens its international borders and Australians are no longer banned from leaving their own country. There have been some suggestions by the Australian government that citizens may be allowed to travel overseas again from January 2021 if they pay for their own quarantine on return, but normal international travel is unlikely to resume until there's a vaccine. In this space, there is some good news this week. There are now around half a dozen vaccines in the third phase of trials, and initial results for some of these vaccines have been very promising. But that said, there are still no 100% guarantees that any of them will work. That said, the Australian government is pinning its hopes now on the Oxford vaccine, which it says will be offered to all Australians free of charge if it's proven to be safe and effective. The government flagged also this week that being vaccinated against COVID-19 may be a requirement to travel overseas or to enter Australia in the future. 
We could see a system, for example, in the medium term where overseas travellers are required to produce a COVID-19 vaccination certificate, similar to how the yellow fever certificate works um, at the moment when travelling to certain countries. American Express is removing the $400 annual travel credit that comes with its Amex Platinum Reserve card in Australia. The change will apply to new Amex Platinum Reserve card holders that are approved on or after the 26th of August, which is next Wednesday. And from this date, new Platinum Reserve credit card members will no longer receive that $400 travel credit every year. To compensate, American Express will give new cardholders approved after the 26th of August a slightly higher earning rate. So the earn rate for this card will increase from 2 to 2.25 Amex membership rewards ascent premium points per dollar spent. And that's equivalent to what you earn with the Platinum Charge card. Existing Amex Platinum Reserve card holders are not affected and existing customers or those who are approved before next Wednesday will continue to receive the $400 travel credit. American Express offers that Platinum Reserve credit card as a complimentary companion to its Platinum and its invitation-only Centurion uh, charge cards. And it's quite a popular benefit at the moment because the Platinum card has a $1,450 annual fee, but it also comes with a $450 travel credit, which is being kept there. And with the Platinum Reserve card, you also get that extra $400 travel credit, which brings it up to $850 and goes some way to offset the annual fee on that card. Qantas Frequent Flyer has quietly ended its partnership with Air New Guinea, the national carrier of Papua New Guinea. As of the 6th of August, Qantas Frequent Flyer members can no longer earn or redeem points on any EPX flights. It was previously possible to earn Qantas points or to book classic flight reward tickets on Air New Guinea flights, which was a unique proposition because Air New Guinea is not part of any alliance and it has very few other partner airlines. Qantas Frequent Flyer members could also previously earn points, but not status credits when booking Air New Guinea flights with a PX flight number. Qantas is also no longer code-sharing with the airline. Qantas does fly during normal times from Cairns and Brisbane to Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea using its own aircraft, and you can still earn and burn points on those routes, although those Qantas flights are not currently scheduled to resume until next year. Air New Guinea has continued, meanwhile, to operate to both Cairns and Brisbane from Port Moresby during the COVID-19 shutdown. There are now so few passengers flying in and out of Canberra Airport that the airport's management has decided to temporarily close the airport on Saturdays. They're also now considering shutting down Canberra Airport on Tuesdays due to a sheer lack of flights. In normal times, around 9,000 passengers would pass through Canberra Airport each day, but over the past week there have been less than 100 passengers on most days coming both in and out of the airport. At the moment, the only places that Canberrans can fly to without quarantining at either end are in New South Wales. Although Qantas's Boeing 747s have now been retired, Antarctica flights will continue to operate charter sightseeing flights to Antarctica this summer, and they're now going to use a Qantas Boeing 787 Dreamliner rather than the 747. Seven sightseeing flights to Antarctica are scheduled for next summer, and it could be one of the very few opportunities to go overseas this year, even if you do have to come back to Australia at the end of the day. Prices for these flights start at $1,199 for an economy seat without a proper window or an obstructed view, and they go all the way up to $8,000 for a business class seat without an obstructed view. And that, of course, also comes with business class service on board. 
The charter flights are being run by Antarctica Flights, and before you ask, unfortunately, no, because they're a charter flight, you cannot earn any frequent flyer points or status credits. But still, could be quite a thing, uh, quite a cool thing to do this summer. The new Microsoft Flight Simulator game was released this week. Two absolutely rave reviews. It, I have to say, it looks ap- absolutely incredible. The graphics and the realism on this game are impeccable, and oh, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. The new Microsoft Flight Simulator, which has been um, awaiting release for the last few years, is now available on PC and Xbox. And Qantas last week began selling care packages, which cost $25 a pack and could be delivered to anywhere in Australia free of charge. Each of these packs contained one pair of Qantas business class pyjamas, or as they call them, sleeper suits, also one uh, business class amenity kit, uh, 12 individually wrapped Tim Tams, smoked almonds served in first class, and a packet of lemon and ginger tea bags. With international flights off the cards for the foreseeable future, these care packs repurpose excess stock that would normally be offered to customers in Qantas's premium cabins. The airline, of course, normally pre-orders this stock in bulk well in advance, and, well, now there's just a lot of pyjamas and amenity kits sitting in storage. So Qantas has decided that those excess pyjamas could be used uh, better by cheering people up. Uh, They were extremely popular, though, and sold out in just one day. That's what's making news this fortnight on Australian Frequent Flyer. For more regular news, updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Have a look at australianfrequentflyer.com.au for all the details. Virgin Australia has now been in voluntary administration for four months, so I thought it was worth checking in and seeing how they're going. As you're probably aware, Bain Capital, a US investment firm, has made a binding agreement with the administrators from Deloitte back in June to purchase the airline for an undisclosed amount. It looks like this sale process has almost been completed now, but the sale will still need to be voted on at a creditors meeting, which is now scheduled for the 4th of September, so in about two weeks from now. The uh, creditors meeting was initially supposed to be in mid-August and then late August, and well, it's been pushed back a few times now. A rogue group of bondholders have also been trying to thwart the sale and have put forward their own counter-proposal. Uh, they have been making lots of noise around the edges, but the administrators haven't been particularly interested in what they have to say, and this week a federal court judge also sided with the administrators in a bit of a blow to those group of bondholders trying to get back some money on their investments, I guess. So, assuming the sale goes through and Virgin Australia does come out of administration in a couple of weeks, what can we expect the airline to look like in the future? Now, we got the clearest indication yet of this two weeks ago, which I did speak about in the last podcast episode right at the start, when the airline's management revealed their medium-term plans for the airline. Basically, Virgin plans to position itself between Qantas and Jetstar, but it's not going to become a low-cost carrier. So it's going to try and cut a lot of costs. It's going to move to a 737-only fleet for its domestic and international short haul and stop long-haul flying and cut Tiger Air. But yeah, it will keep offering business class and it does say that it's going to keep most of its domestic airport lounges. So it's a bit of a mix between, I guess, a hybrid strategy and kind of a full a full service airline, but also a little bit confusing, I have to say. As I wrote about this about last week in an article called Virgin's Hybrid Strategy is Fraught with Risk, Virgin Australia will need to be really careful going forward not to get squeezed by the Qantas group, which controls both Qantas and Jetstar. And I'll, I will link this article in the episode notes if you'd like to have a read, but 
Yeah, to be honest, I'm quite confused about what Virgin's strategy is here exactly. They've already tried for the last decade to compete as a full-service airline with Qantas, trying to win over corporate customers, and they lost billions of dollars doing so. So is this not a case of doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results? What I think Virgin's trying to do here is position itself as a cheaper alternative to Qantas. In the past, Virgin has usually only really been slightly cheaper than Qantas, or about the same price, actually. And I think now they're going to be cutting their airfares quite substantially so as to position themselves as something that's particularly better value than Qantas. At the same time, I guess they're going to try and win over leisure travellers that are prepared to pay a little bit more to fly an airline that's better than Jetstar. And in theory, this could work if it's executed really well. But many other airlines have already tried to adopt a middle-of-the-market approach, and many have failed. Just one example is the former German one-world carrier Air Berlin, which you might remember went bankrupt in 2017. Air Berlin was really interesting from an Australian perspective because it was a partner of uh, Qantas in one world, but it was also a partner of Virgin Australia. But um, it tried to compete simultaneously with both the full-service incumbent in Germany, Lufthansa, and also the various low-cost carriers, including Eurowings, Germanwings, Ryanair and EasyJet in, in Europe. Most of Germany's corporate frequent flyers were loyal to Lufthansa, which offered better lounges, a better business class experience, and a far greater network. And meanwhile, the leisure travellers were attracted by the lower fares offered by the likes of those low-cost carriers that I just talked about. And it didn't leave much of a market share left for Germany's value carrier, so to speak, in Air Berlin. By trying to please everybody, there is a risk that you please nobody. And now there's another story which I also think is quite relevant here. In the early 2000s, British Airways launched the first lie flat beds in business class, quite an uh, you know achievement at the time. And at this time, it operated flights from Europe to Australia under a joint venture agreement with Qantas, which still had those reclining Dreamtime business class seats that were typical of the era. Qantas and, uh, and British Airways devised a clever strategy together to compete for business travellers against Singapore Airlines, which was the other major competitor between Australia and Europe at the time. British Airways had the best product, that was undoubtable, and it was priced accordingly, which um, you know was fair enough because it was a better product and it successfully attracted the top tier of the market. Meanwhile, Qantas's hard product was quite similar to that of Singapore Airlines, but Qantas was cheaper than Singapore Airlines, attracting the more price-conscious business travellers. And this strategy took considerable market share away from Singapore Airlines, which was kind of squeezed out at both ends of the market. Qantas is a formidable competitor. Today, I think Virgin Australia risks being squeezed by Qantas on one hand and its wholly owned low-cost carrier Jetstar at the other end in a similar way. From what we know about Virgin's new strategy, it's quite clear that Qantas will have a more premium product and Jetstar's going to have lower airfares, so there is quite a bit of risk here. And this doesn't even take into account Rex's plan to start flying capital city routes from March next year as well using 10 Boeing 737s. Ironically, it looks like those 10 planes uh, going to Rex might actually be the same planes that Virgin has just offloaded. But anyway, Rex seems to be going for a similar segment of the market to Virgin here. It's going to offer lower fares than Qantas, but include baggage and meals with its fares. So it's kind of a hybrid model. And to be honest, I think Virgin's going to be in for a very tough time next year, especially given how weak the demand for air travel is at the moment. And now I hope that Virgin does really, really well. We need them to survive, but I do worry about what they're trying to do here. 
So what's the situation right now with each of the major airlines? Well, over the past few weeks, I have flown with both Qantas and Virgin Australia as well as Regional Express, and I have to say that the experience with each airline is very different now. Before, you know, it used to be kind of much of a muchness between Qantas and Virgin. That's well and truly gone now. Qantas last month began reopening its lounges, and in my opinion, they've done an excellent job with it. There are fewer people travelling, and of course the business needs to try and cut costs, and they've got government-mandated health restrictions to deal with, so it was always going to be a challenge for Qantas to reopen its lounges while still offering an excellent experience to guests. But I actually think they've managed to pull it off. Of course, COVID-19 has changed many aspects of our daily lives, and the Qantas Club experience is no different. The tables are now further apart, and there's fewer of them to allow for social distancing. The buffets are gone too. There's no longer newspapers or self-serve drinks, and the showers are closed. In short, Qantas has removed most of the opportunities for customers to touch lots of things and to come into close contact with other lounge visitors, which is exactly what they should do. But at the same time, it's still a premium experience. There is still plenty of food and drinks available. You just have to ask a staff member to get it for you now. And I have to admit, this takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's not really a problem at all. And the staff at each of the lounges I've visited recently have been really, really friendly. They were regularly walking around the lounge asking people if they wanted anything. And I have to say the food has also been really good. Qantas has now introduced a kind of a plate concept where they plate up the food for you on, on request and, uh, and deliver it to you freshly. And magazines were still available on request, although they're just not on display for people to rummage through. By comparison, Virgin Australia has not, a, not only have they not opened their lounges yet, they haven't even given an indication of when they expect that the lounges will reopen. So if you have velocity status or you're flying business class on Virgin, there's no lounge access at all. And Regional Express also hasn't opened their lounges yet. So for Qantas, that's a big tick for the ground experience at the moment. But if we also compare the onboard experience, Qantas also now has a huge edge over Virgin Australia, and particularly in business class. I flew with Qantas in business class last Monday and the experience was almost the same as what you'd get during normal times. You do now get handed a face mask and sanitizer wipes when boarding and there are a few other COVID related changes around the edges. But I still received a full hot meal and drinks. The cabin crew were fantastic, constantly checking if I wanted anything else to drink and things like that. Uh, the in-flight entertainment was not turned on, that was a little bit disappointing, but I am told that this will be back next month on Qantas flights, and the Wi-Fi on Qantas was turned on and working, so uh, other than the in-flight entertainment not being there, all in all, it was a very good experience. Now, if I compare this to my experience flying Virgin Business Class a couple of weeks ago, it's chalk and cheese. Um, so as I said, Virgin's lounges are closed, so you miss out on that part of the experience, but once on board with Virgin in business class, I hardly saw the cabin crew at all, even though this was a dinner time flight that I took. The only thing served were a plastic cup of water and one granola bar, and that's the same as what they served in economy, so given the prices they're charging for business, I thought that was quite a poor experience. Uh, I'm sure, I, sh I do hope that this is just a temporary COVID thing and not a permanent change for Virgin, but I have to say, I do find it rather disingenuous that Virgin has blamed government health restrictions for pretty much everything they didn't provide. When Qantas can still provide lounge access and full catering, that excuse wears a bit thin. I mean, it's quite clearly cost-cutting here. On Virgin, interestingly, the in-flight entertainment was available, so with the streaming app, although the Wi-Fi was switched off, which was actually the exact opposite to Qantas, so go figure, I guess. Uh, just, just for completeness, I did also fly with Regional Express a couple of days ago. They are still serving snacks and water, um, and the experience was 
more or less the same as normal, just that now face masks are mandatory on Rex flights. And if you don't bring your own mask, you have to buy one at check-in for $2. Everyone also did have their temperature taken at check-in. I, mean, I think Rex is the only airline that's doing that. But other than that, um, it was pretty much as normal and the service was very good. Now, we should hear more about what happens with Virgin in the coming weeks as the uh, creditors meeting takes place. And hopefully Virgin comes out of administration. But, well, watch this space. I think it's fair to say that a lot of businesses have been doing it really tough throughout this pandemic. But for businesses on South Australia's Kangaroo Island, this isn't even the first crisis they've had to deal with this year. From late 2019 until early March 2020, bushfires ravaged through Kangaroo Island. In total, almost half of the island was affected and a lot of it destroyed by the fires, with a lot of properties destroyed and a lot of wildlife killed as well. And then, just as the terrible bushfire season came to an end, the next crisis hit. Border closures due to COVID-19 stopped tourists from coming, and for a while even South Australians couldn't visit the island. For a destination that is reliant on tourism, especially from overseas visitors, this year has been a nightmare. This week I visited Kangaroo Island, which is around 100km to the south of Adelaide, and I got a first-hand look at the extent of the damage from the bushfires, as well as how people and businesses have been coping. Now, firstly, I have to say that I do feel incredibly lucky and privileged to be able to be travelling at all at the moment. Regular listeners of this podcast will know that when I'm in Australia, I am normally based in Canberra. Currently, Canberrans can't travel outside of the ACT or New South Wales without getting a special exemption or quarantining at the destination, or in the case of Victoria, quarantining when you get home. But in my case, I was fortunate enough to head to Queensland before they closed the border to the ACT. And f because then I'd been in Queensland for a few weeks, I was able to travel directly from there to South Australia without um, self-isolating. But yeah, obviously domestic travel is quite limited at the moment, although most Australian states and territories are now allowing travel within their own states. Victoria is unfortunately an exception at the moment. And just a quick shout out to those of you in Victoria. I don't think there's anything I can say to make this situation any better for you and I can't imagine how tough this lockdown is for you but I just really hope you're doing okay. Uh, now other than that there is a bit of a travel bubble at the moment between Queensland, South Australia and the Northern Territory so if you're in any of those places you can more or less travel to the other states and territories within that bubble without having to quarantine. You'll probably just have to apply for a border pass each time you cross into another state. Now, coming back to Kangaroo Island, and I would have to say about 90% of the tourists currently there seem to be coming from Adelaide. The rest would, were mostly from other parts of South Australia and Queensland, and I did run into somebody from the Northern Territory, so in the context of what I just spoke about with that travel bubble, that kind of makes sense, and it's about what you'd expect. And I have to say there are a few surprised people when I said I was from Canberra. But yeah, with very few other options, a lot of South Australians are choosing the holiday on Kangaroo Island, and... I don't blame them at all. It's a really nice place and I think it's well worth visiting for a holiday. And it's just what the island needs as well. I have to say that everybody I spoke to on the island was so friendly. There were definitely far fewer tourists around than there would be normally in a regular season. And it was quite clear that a lot of the businesses there were struggling, but everyone I came across was just so happy to see me and to see other visitors around and they're in really good spirits, which is quite remarkable given what the place has just been through. Jen, who runs the budget car rental business at Kingscote Airport, said that they're currently running just a skeleton operation. They own 24 cars, but demand is now so low 
that they've only renewed the registration on three of those cars. They've already had to defer lane payments and they can't afford to continue paying for the registration, insurance and general upkeep on those other 21 cars. Jen told me that she was really grateful for JobKeeper and I think that's the sentiment that a lot of businesses share right now, but who knows how long this can last. Colin Childs owns another business on Kangaroo Island. He owns the KI247 bus charter company. He's still getting some business at the moment, but he told me that the dual crises have almost decimated the island's tourism industry. Colin normally makes a living offering transport and tours to visitors on the island, but during the summer bushfires, the tourists just stopped coming. And for several months, Colin tells me that he converted his business into a transport service for firefighters on Kangaroo Island. Luckily, the major towns on the island were spared from the worst of the fires, and a lot of resources were put into protecting Kings Coat, the major town centre, with uh, you know persistent uh, water bombing and fire breaks. And I'm told that during the summer, the motel where I stayed in Kings Coat was used as an evacuation centre for the island's residents, some of which lost their homes and their farms. Now, interestingly, despite the um, lack of tourists coming at the moment, most of the locals I spoke to were very supportive of the state's border closures. Even though it is preventing a lot of tourists from coming, they believe that the health must come first and, um, and they believe that that's what needs to be done. Normally, there are multiple flights per day from Adelaide to Kingscote, um, which is the main airport on the island. And also during the summer, Cornerslink normally would fly from Melbourne to Kingscote. But there's now just four flights a week from Adelaide, two on Qantaslink and two weekly flights on Rex. I flew in on Qantaslink this week and there were just 13 people on my flight on the plane that seats 50 people. And on the way back to Adelaide with Rex, there are only 12 of us. So as I said, uh, a lot of the visitors currently on Kangaroo Island are from Adelaide. Those visitors are definitely helping a lot of the businesses to stay afloat and I expect there will be a much needed influx of visitors from Adelaide during the next school holidays and that's a good thing but how long can this really last? If you live in South Australia, Queensland or the Northern Territory and you're able to visit I would definitely encourage you to consider a holiday on Kangaroo Island and if you live elsewhere in Australia put it on your list for somewhere to visit once water restrictions are eased. The people there definitely need your business and the locals will welcome you with open arms. Even though the fire damage was quite evident in some parts of the island, I really don't think that that ruined the experience at all for me. There were a few places here and there that were still closed, but most things have now reopened. You can even get free entry into the Flinders Chase National Park where you can see lots of uh, seals, as well as the Admiral's Arch and the Remarkable Rocks and some other quite spectacular landscapes. And most of the wineries and other unique attractions on the island have also now reopened. So definitely worth a visit. But um, yeah, it's been a tough, tough year for the people of Kangaroo Island. Although international travel is sadly still some months away, now is the perfect time to start thinking about exploring your own backyard right here in Australia. That's why the next Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar is all about domestic travel around Australia. How do you find the best domestic travel deals? What are the best frequent flyer programs to redeem points for domestic flights? And how can you get great deals on car hire, accommodation and train travel in Australia? All of these questions and lots more will be answered in the upcoming Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, Australian Domestic Travel Tips and Tricks. I'll be hosting this webinar on Wednesday the 9th of September at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. 
pre-registration is essential, so visit frequentflyer.com.au or click through on the link in the episode notes to learn more or to register for this webinar, and I'll see you there. Finally, for this fortnight, I want to talk about a question that I received on the AFF on Air discussion thread on the AFF forum. Now, this question comes from LPS144, and this person writes, Hi Matt, as someone who's currently of low or no status with Qantas, so this person has bronze status with Qantas Frequent Flyer, it becomes a long-winded process to track down a reasonable reward seat for two passengers around the intended date of travel. As another option, do you think that buying miles through those programs that are affiliated with Qantas are worthwhile as an alternative? The exchange rate aside, the likes of Alaska Airlines and American Airlines have bonus mile promotions from time to time. And so does the availability through these programs make it easier to get a premium ticket on Qantas? If, of course, there's actually availability in the first place. Um, well, yes, it's true that there are a number of programs that do sell miles and have quite generous discounts from time to time. In fact, I think American Airlines and Alaska Airlines are currently both offering bonus miles if you buy miles from them. And you can redeem miles with both of those um, programs to book Qantas flights. Now, that said, if your main goal is to find premium cabin award availability on Qantas, is it better to go through those other programs? The short answer is no. And here's why. Now, if, now Qantas doesn't make the same award availability available to everyone. And there's a, there's a bit of a hierarchy, if you will. For domestic flights and long-haul flights in economy class... Most people do get more or less the same access to award availability on Qantas flights. There may be, from time to time, more seats available to Qantas frequent flyer members with higher status, even on those flights, although that's not really a systematic issue. Where there's a real difference in award availability is with the most highly sought-after award seats, and that basically means premium economy, business and first-class awards on long-haul international flights. Qantas releases those seats on a staggered basis, so... Um, Qantas Gold, Platinum and Platinum 1 frequent flyers will get access to these reward seats right from the very beginning once they're released um, initially. Uh, and that happens when seats are released to inventory 353 days in advance. And to be exact, this happens at midnight GMT, so that equates to 10am Brisbane time or 11am in Sydney or Melbourne during daylight savings. Then, if there are still seats left um, 327 days before departure, so about four weeks later, I guess, then they will be released to Qantas Silver Frequent Flyers or opened up for booking by Silver Frequent Flyers. And this appears to happen actually not at midnight GMT, but um, at the 327-day mark at around midnight in the time zone of the departure airport. Then finally, any of those classic flight reward seats that haven't yet been booked by Silver Gold, Platinum or Platinum 1 Qantas Frequent Flyers will be released at 297 days out to Bronze Frequent Flyers, which is what you are at the moment, LPS 144. But here's the catch. Even at 297 days out, Qantas still might not release seats to members of other partner airlines. So if you're trying to use American Airlines Advantage miles or Alaska Airlines mileage plan miles, you might even need to wait a bit longer than that. And so you really are at the very bottom of the pack there, even potentially below Qantas bronze members, which is a bit of a shame because um, awards booked using Advantage miles and Alaska Airlines miles are generally quite a bit cheaper than using Qantas points. And you also don't pay fuel or carrier surcharges uh, when you're using those miles to book Qantas flights, which is quite a benefit. You can actually save quite 
uh, quite a few hundred dollars that way per flight. Now, it is a One World Alliance requirement that any seats that a One World airline releases to uh, to one One World partner are also made available to all other One World partner airlines. So, if a seat is made available um, to you know by Qantas to American Airlines, then it would also need to be made available to Cathay Pacific and British Airways and, and vice versa, and all of the other One World airlines. But airlines are permitted under the One World rules to keep more seats available for their own members of you know their, of their own frequent flyer programs. So in general, if Qantas makes an award seat available to One World partner airlines, it'll, it would also be released to non-One World partners, such as Air France, KLM, or Emirates, or Alaska Airlines. But this is also no guarantee. It is possible that you might be able to book something on Qantas using American Airlines miles, but not Alaska miles. And while I haven't quite seen any examples of this with Qantas, I have certainly with Cathay Pacific. So there are times, for example, when an award seat uh, on a Cathay Pacific flight will be available to book using Qantas points or American Airlines miles, but not using Alaska Airlines mileage plan miles. Uh, and this this will um, change in the specific case of Alaska Airlines when they join One World later, later this year. But it, the, the idea still applies for um, non-Alliance partner airlines. I hope that made sense. So if you want to book a premium seat on Qantas, it's actually easier if you are using Qantas points. Uh, and of course, having status helps, but the same can't be said for other One World Partner Airlines. So if you wanted to book business class seats, for example, on Qatar Airways or Malaysia Airlines, Cathay Pacific, um, then you will have access or the same access to seats regardless of which One World program you're using if you're using a partner airline. And so in this case, it could well make sense to use just the program that offers the cheapest redemptions. There's no difference in availability. Um, and as I said, a huge advantage when you're using Advantage Miles uh, part of the pun is that there are no fuel surcharges. But yeah, for Qantas premium flights, you really do have the best odds when using Qantas points. Well, I hope that helps. Um, that's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, just quickly, I do apologise that the sound quality on this episode and the last one hasn't quite been as crisp as usual. Uh, when I went away a few weeks ago, I did unfortunately leave my microphone at home, so I've been using a different method to record these this and the last podcast, but I should be reunited with my microphone next fortnight and the sound quality should be a bit better in the next episode, so but sorry about that in the meantime. Now, for more information about anything discussed in today's episode, you can check out the episode notes, and here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss this episode, provide feedback or suggestions about the podcast, or ask me a question. And like LPS144's question today, I'll talk about your question in a future episode. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already using your favourite podcasting platform. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, take care.